biggest thing is the ability to make an impact. From that moment onwards, we moved from being a brand that advertised to a brand that communicated. We collaborate with our clients and over time we try and get them to fire us. You must have to have really difficult conversations. I want to see no office wall. I want to see everything covered in ideas. There's so much data available that you can kind of get dazzled by it. And I have What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Hello, my name's Katie Sando and welcome to the Marketing Forum podcast. In this episode, we're talking all things events and we're joined by Kelly Frew, Director of Events at P&O Cruises, looking after what I consider to be enormous events, things like naming ceremonies for the cruise ships themselves and trade events. She's worked in events manager roles in the travel industry for businesses such as Tui Travel and Thomas Cook, as well as being former senior events producer for BBC Studios, where she was running events for programmes such as Top Gear and David Attenborough documentaries. We talk about everything from organisational skills and also things like creative, marrying the two, taking risks with events, knowing your audience and Basically, this episode is an absolute must listen if events are in any way part of your marketing plan. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us on the Marketing Forum podcast. So um, we are going to talk today, I think, quite a lot about events and um, your role and what that looks like and why, you know, I guess why events matter so much. Do you want to start off by telling us a bit about um, your current role? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Katie. So um, my role at the moment, I work for Pino Cruises and I'm the events director for them. It has evolved. So when I joined the business a couple of years ago, I was a fixed term contractor. I was brought in, contracted to look after the inaugural events for the launch of their brand new cruise ship, Iona. Um, and it was a, it, it was going to be a wonderful event around, um, it was before COVID, that all of this started. We were going to do a huge festival at sea. We were, we'd got lots of talents and lots of different talent and um, pop stars, bands, acts, brand ambassadors all joining this festival at sea on our brand new cruise ship and this was meant to take place in July 2020. So my remit was all around um, delivering the uh, festival at sea and also every cruise ship that comes into um, into service always has to be named it, and always has to be blessed. So there's always a grand ceremony of some sort around this. The godmother's normally quite a special um, person in terms of they're quite famous and they're quite prolific within either the industry or just generally. So the queen actually was Britannia's um, godmother so the kind of scale of what it is um, so there's all sorts of PR events around an inaugural ship launch basically so my remit was to come along and to deliver Iona which we did in a very different way to what we planned obviously COVID obviously took over but we still did a wonderful broadcast out we were able to do a live um, event down at Keyside in Southampton just with the crew and broadcast it out and we did lots of PR events around that so it was wonderful then look sorry go no yeah it. go on <laughs> and then luckily um there's another cruise ship coming out so cruise ship cruise ship number two or excel class ship number two arbia is coming along in december this year so we're planning a, a lot of events around arbia live hybrid virtual events um 
maybe internationally, we don't know. There's all sorts of things being thought about and thought, thought through. So my team deliver all the events and the PR activity around the new cruise ships. And then as we've evolved, I now look at a trade event. So obviously a lot of travel agents, travel partners sell our cruises, and we have lots of engagement events throughout the year for our travel partners. So we, my team will deliver those events too. God, so you're talking about large scale uh so when you say at sea, festival at sea, you mean literally it would be a boat full of people celebrating the launch? It is a ship full of people. Yeah, absolutely. So we were, the basically Iona Fest was going to be, the, the ship Iona can hold nearly 5,300 people and it also holds 1,800 guests. So you've got over 7,000 people on that ship and we were holding a festival at sea. So all the acts were coming on. We've got Pixie Lark, we've got The Script, Gary Barlow, Joe Wiley, Sarah Cox. Um, I'm trying to remember those because such a whole range of different acts that we'd got on board. And then our, as part of the week, we were going to do a huge naming ceremony as well because that's really important for a ship. So yeah, it was just going... and. A, a huge festival at sea like that with such huge talent has never been done, believe it or not. There's been festival like festival at sea with um, lower level talent around bands and things, but not to that prolific stage of having such high caliber of acts. Oh, and it's such a shame that it didn't happen. I know, one day. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to want to ask you loads more about like sort of how you manage events of that scale. But how did you originally get into the events industry then? Yeah, so I started off as a performer, actually. Um, so I was a performer, I was a dancer, and I loved dancing. I absolutely loved dancing, but I'd always got, um, I, my mum was always like, no, you need to go to university and do something proper. You can't just mm. <laughs> dance for the rest of your life. So I got into journalism, actually, and did um, a journalism, broadcast journalism degree. Um, I then kind of, in this in the summer seasons, decided to go off and be a dancer on, on different summer seasons and for holiday parks and holiday companies as well. So I was kind of trying to do both at the same time um i became a regional manager and looked after all the show teams for lots of big large-scale holiday parks across the uk so born leisure and um yeah so born leisure and haven and then i kind of got pushed slightly into organizing all of the conferences and awards evenings and um, all the sort of training seminars for all of the entertainers that we were recruiting so I was in a recruitment roadshow and I am the most organized person in the world as, as events professionals are so I kind of became that person that just organized the, all of the different events and I realized actually that as much as I did love dancing and being on stage I kind of started becoming a little bit more of an introvert and going Do you know what it's quite nice being the person with the clipboard behind <laughs> the events and just like organizing it and telling everybody what to do and just being that perfect planner so I kind of sidestepped a little bit um, and took a big leap and then became joined an events agency and started my way up from an events producer in an agency and got lured back into travel in events um, through various companies. So I've, I've led events teams for TUI, who are a large um, operator yeah. of travel. Um, I've also worked with Thomas Cook in a, a similar role before they, before they sadly went. Um, and then I actually decided, you get my whole backstory here, but I actually decided I'd done events on quite a large scale for travel for so many years that I was going to, I wanted to work in London and I wanted to work for a, a media company and I decided this and I, I somehow managed to get a role working for the BBC. So I became one of their senior events producers working for the BBC, which was fantastic. I had the best time, did lots of launches around Top Gear. I launched Jodie Whittaker as the new, um, as the new Doctor Who at the time, worked with Sir David Attenborough and lots of his um, titles, so Blue Planet 2, Dynasties, um, yeah, and had the most amazing time. 
What kind of events did they those look like then? You mean like sort of almost um, like screenings? Yeah, lots of different things really, but um, I suppose our remit was to support the marketing team. So I worked for BBC Studios, which is the commercial arm of B the BBC, and we sold the titles across the globe to all the different networks. So if you think about Top Gear, for example, in the UK, Top Gear is huge, but it's franchised. So you've got Top Gear Australia, Top Gear America, Top Gear China, all of these different ones across the globe. So we, as the owner, BBC Studios, would do big events to entice those global networks to come over, their buyers to come over, or we'd go to them. And we'd just showcase that title in the best way possible. We'd let them touch it, feel it, speak to some of the actors or the, or the presenters, get to see the cars and just some of the action. So lot, quite large scale events, actually. Um, some of them in the Liverpool Echo Arena. So we'd host big events in the Liverpool Echo Arena, do some real big scale stuff um, in the hope that we could sell these titles across the globe. So we supported the marketing team, really. What do you think is, um, so, you know, you said about sort of obviously organisational skills, but when you get, so if we get into like the nitty gritty of like the absolute um, how to's, I suppose, around events, what do you think are the fundamentals of where you know, you absolutely have to get this stuff right in order for all events to go well. And then, you know, what bits are kind of like more the added bonus? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So I've got two, I'm going to give you two different versions now. I'm going to give the creative um, answer and then I'm going to give you the operational answer because there's two things there that really have to play together really well. I suppose what you need to do is understand your objectives of your events first and foremost. Why on earth are you doing these events? What, what are you hoping? What's the ROI that you want out of it? And that's got to be really clear from day one. You need to, you know, it's no good just especially when you work in corporate companies, there's no good just having a, an event for an event's sake. There's always got to be the measurements in place. There's always got to be understood what are we actually hoping to achieve from this? So with BBC Studios, it was always, well, we're going to hopefully sell this title across the globe and make lots of money from it so, to support the BBC as wider and then we can make better productions. Um, so you've got to understand what that is. Now, when you think about that from a creative point of view, you've got to make sure that whatever your content looks like, meets those objectives so creatives I can be a creative but I can be very operational as well creatives sometimes can just go off on this wonderful extravagant journey where they they go on side journeys and they you kind of have to pull them back in a little bit and go hang on a minute that sounds wonderful it would be great to have unicorns flying through the air but does that meet our objective of why we're doing this event so it's always aligning your key messages the key reasons why you're doing an event um, in with that whole creative look and feel that's really big and that's something that i always work really hard on the other side of it when we come onto the operational side the really fundamental thing is you never really just do an event on your own there's always so many different stakeholders departments external agencies clients whoever it is that's involved and i think the project planning around an event is absolutely vital so things like making sure your stakeholders are, are updated communicated to everybody understands what we're trying to achieve together everyone understands what their part of the journey is to build that event and to make sure that they're delivering it um, if that breaks down, then the whole piece will just fall apart. You've got to work as one team and you've got to make sure if, if you're project managing it, then you are doing that and you're, you're keeping your timelines up in, um, in, in track, you're measuring it, you're understanding your risks. And it can sound boring, but it's the most important fundamental thing when you're doing an event. 
Are you guys at the point where you're way past spreadsheets and way into some kind of super fancy software? I'd love to say that. I'd absolutely love to say that. But do you know what? You can't beat a spreadsheet, can you? You can't. You cannot beat an Excel. Like, and I've for my team, I've tried lots of different project tools around um, Monday, Trello, just using all these different sort of tools that help track people. Um, and, and track deliverables and then tracking who's done what and some of them work for certain people some of them don't but there's nothing like an amazing gantt chart or a timeline or a critical path that's laid out on an excel spreadsheet and that you know yes perhaps i'm old-fashioned but i think it's the easiest thing that across the world everybody understands um and just it, it's the easiest thing for people to use yeah it's um yeah, you must end up with like million tabs along the bottom there when you're getting to the point of like. But um, it's really interesting what you say about the creative because I, I think um, there's a risk sometimes that can happen across marketing with the same, you know, it's the same principle, isn't it, with like brand or campaigns. There's yeah. maybe what would be like creatively delicious and then there's like, but is it going to deliver? Yeah. Um, but so another thing I'm really interested in then is, you know, even if you're doing these kinds of events where, um, so right, let me take a step back. So B2B, mm -hmm. I think, and you know, um, I would categorize, I suppose, is what you're talking about when you're trying to sell, for example, Top Gear, you know, that's not a consumer focused event, no. but ultimately you still got people there. Yeah. You know, how you create an experience for them. Do you think that matters like way more now than, you know, maybe back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone knows, no matter whether you work in B2C or B2B, that it is, it's that relationship building, isn't it? And, you know, when we, if we talk about busy studios and the fact that we we're trying to sell Top Gear to um, global networks, we weren't selling it to the global network. We were selling it to a buyer, a buyer yeah. that came along to an experience that really enjoyed it, absolutely understood that it would work within their country, within their culture, how they could take it and make it work. And you are influencing that one person. Yes, that person, that buyer will then go back to the network and sell it in and do what they need to. And from a network's perspective, they'll understand whether it's right for them or not. But so for example, we used to flip, for show, BBC Showcase, doing exactly what we are just talking about, selling Top Gear, for example, we'd fly all of the buyers across from all across the globe. They'd come into the arena. We would put on, and with, when Freddie took over, um, Freddie, Paddy, and Chris was already there, actually. So when the three presenters got pulled together to do the new sort of Top Gear, and they are now the presenters of today, we had all the cars in the, um, in the arena. We had all three of them there and they were bantering they were having interaction with the audience and you know it was really important that the experience that that buyer got they felt it themselves it's about them feeling it and getting it and just being completely immersed in what top gear is about um so yeah it's just as important whether it's b2b or b2c whether for that experience on that individual person how do you make sure you get that bit right because it's kind of critical yeah, so we listen to them. So obviously, I mean, BBC Studios is, is huge and they have a team of people that look after those relationships. So they know they know those people, the people, the buyers from across the globe and how they like to work and what works for them. Very, very busy people. They don't want to come and look, they get fly over for their time and, and use their time wisely in the most in the most wise way possible they'll have meetings so we knew we had a we knew from their teams from the development team how to position the event keep it short sharp um 
key fit to the really key messages of what we want to deliver, cut out all the waffle, make it big bang because Top Gear is quite big bang and that they want all the wow factor that goes with it too. get the key talent there. So it's about working with the teams that understand those people, those people that are attending your events. So yes, on this occasion, it buyers, but it was about really understanding what what makes them tick, what drives them, what motivates them um, and, and giving them that experience. Mm. It's so important, you know, just to get that right, isn't it? Like across, it doesn't matter. Like you say, it doesn't matter B2B, B2C, but just like working out how do we serve these people in the most effective way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and with the bigger events, it's really difficult to tailor it for each and every person that's coming into that room or that arena. Um, but you kind of know that, you know, you understand what makes a buyer tick in that situation. Isn't that nice then when you've done your big event that one of the development team follow up with them and do something a bit more personal and, and make it about them and go, well, for your network, it could work like this. So that personal approach afterwards is really important still to cultivate and develop that relationship. But the big wow was the bit that actually sold it. What, so I, th I think you've probably just answered this question, but why do you think events work so well? Oh, that's a really good, in a, in a B2B? I just in think, a, in a, in a, in a, well, let's start with B2B and then maybe yeah. if we think the answer is different, but because yeah. so I, many businesses use them, don't they? And, um, and it's, I don't want to call it a go-to because um, I don't think that everybody uses them and I don't necessarily think that everybody uses them that well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. why do you think they work so effectively if you do them right? Yeah, I think it's because you get the opportunity to engage with your buyer. So whether that's a consumer or whether that is like B2B, you get that opportunity to spend time with the buyer. The, the person, the consumer or the B2B buyer gets to touch, to feel, ask questions, be there. Um, so if, some, if you think about um, when we worked for the, when I worked for the agency many years ago in, as an events producer, we worked with um, some pharmaceutical companies that did product launches. So they would bring all of their medical buyers in and they would launch a brand new product. And what was really nice about that was the fact that, yes, what they could have done, they could have sent a pack out to, so didn't fly everyone to Switzerland or whatever, and just sent a pack out that just said, here's your digital pack, have a look through it. This is all the information about the product. Um, a little video to say this is what the product looks like but what that doesn't it's not a two-way communication is it so you've not no. given them the opportunity to come to touch to feel it to ask the questions and also from a product perspective if your buy-in's coming along you get the opportunity to then evolve it a little bit because the buyer can then go well it, that works but this bit doesn't work and actually what we really needed was this and a and b and c so it's that two-way conversation is it it's that tangible moment in time that creates the memory but also creates that connection and engagement so i think with a cold hard sales leads hat on you're thinking okay what do we want out of this we want email addresses yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> we want email addresses and we want to be able to relationship build and like so you know start building that relationship um, yeah. And I think that's where you've got to be really careful not to get lost in thinking like, oh, I don't care about the experience because actually as long as we've got the lead, then we can start to nurture it. But if, if they don't have a good experience, then an email will land in their inbox and they'll just delete it. Delete. Yeah, it's exactly. not a memory that they're remembering. If, you, if you've given them a really lovely experience, they'll get that email and they'll go, oh my God, do you remember what we did this? We went yeah. there and experienced that. So it's that, it's that whole relationship bit, isn't it? Yeah, like you say, it's like the really tangible part. So, 
you know, I think that's why you can get events so wrong, because if you don't, if they doesn't feel authentic to the rest of your brand, then it just feels like, I don't know, like an experience in someone else's backyard. It's like, yeah, you, you know. I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, working for Pino Cruises, um, and I'm very lucky that I, within, because I'm part of the sales and marketing team or my events team are, we, and the brand director sits next, like, you know, she's she's a, a report like me and we, we, we've got lines into the VP. Um, and the brand piece is really, really important, I think, when you're working in a corporate company that events can sometimes, and it's coming back to that creative thing, isn't it? Events can sometimes go off on a silo and go, yes, let's build this wonderful event and let's have it all singing and all dancing. But the brand police from a big brand perspective absolutely need to be there to go, um, hang on a minute, is this authentic to our brand? Does it sit within our values? Does it serve what we're trying to deliver right now in terms of messaging? And does it align with everything else that we're trying to achieve? So very, very recently um, in... Oh, crikey, it's December. So we did um, a Christmas event. So we invited, it was on, it was online. It was a YouTube event uh, for Pinot Cruises. And basically we wanted to show that the brand, if you are sat at home in December in a winter's day, what a cruise could look like at Christmas. So we did a one, we went, I went on Iona and took some of film crew on with me and we filmed lots of different areas and lots of different activities and we built this wonderful event for people to experience at home and yes I had to make sure that along all the way through it I was working with our brand director to go is the brand right is the messaging right does it sit within everything that Christmas looks like on a cruise ship and our proposition around Christmas I could have gone off and done something completely different I could have had singing fairies and singing Santas and whatever and that might not have fit within our brand so I think working with a brand team is so important yeah so in small smaller businesses medium-sized businesses you're often the one and the same yeah yeah uh, so it's I think it's much easier to kind of get that bit um well as long as you're disciplined I think it's easier to get that bit right but yeah. you know totally get it like once you get into a much more corporate environment then you know you do need that other eye on it maybe yeah but it comes too big otherwise for one person doesn't it oh my god like from what you're talking about anyway like I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm gonna need 500 people to help me deliver this event because yeah. <laughs> um I, I really wanted to talk to you also about you know, you, you mentioned earlier around uh, obviously COVID disrupting the launch previously. You've mentioned that you did the, a, a digital event then in December. Has, has this, so not necessarily COVID itself, but just kind of the way that the world is evolving. Is this totally changing the game on events? Like are physical only events dead? Oh, good question. Mm. I don't think they're dead. I think <laughs> there's a time and a place for only having a live audience. But what you don't want to do, what let's step back a minute. What what it did for us in terms of Iona Fest at Sea was going to be for six thousand people only. That's it. No one else is going to watch it. Yes, we might have done a highlights video afterwards um, and put it up on our own PO Cruises YouTube channel for people to watch. But at that moment in time when it was happening, all of our loyal database of guests around the world could not join in and watch that as it stood, as it was going to be. Mm. What it changed when we did do it finally in May 2020, when it was a broadcast out, we could invite all of our guests to watch. And the, and 
it was just amazing like the comments that were coming in that our social care team our social team were looking after um you know we went from six thousand people to i think it's something like 7.1 million people have seen this naming ceremony now for iona and that's we would never have had that reach before yeah. and it's incredible and, and yes now like we are obviously looking at Arvia's launch at the moment, which will be later this year. Um, and yes, we want people in that room. We want people on the ship and enjoying it with us. But at the same time, we don't want to close it down. We want to involve everyone across the globe that yeah. wants to see it and feel it and touch it in different ways. So yes, there's a place for virtual and live event and, and broad, hybrid events going forward. But coming back to what you said, no, I don't think just life in-person events are dead there'll be a time and a place for it when if it's a certain number of people like a vip group of people that you know it's just for them you're making them feel really exclusive and really intimate or it's a training event or something like that or yeah. it's it's a sales conference that's just for the people in the room then i think there's a time and place for it but if you're a big brand or you're trying to get a bigger reach and your audience is wider than what you can invite into the room why would you not do a hybrid version yeah even um I'm, i it's not I wouldn't even really call it an event but um i'm working with a client at the moment and uh the intention was it's you know very small and it's um it's an event that they have to <laughs> hold um you know contractually applied to deliver yeah. as opposed to wanting to you know what's the roi we're obliged um <laughs> so um <laughs> Uh, but you know their original ambition should we make it dual and they're like no 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 no. let's in the room in the room only fine um only they can't do that because then you find that there's the people that they need there who can't be there and before you know it they have to turn it into something which is more you know i think that's what's the the bit that's interesting is even if sometimes we want now to do in person geographically people have spread out the way people want to work has changed and how people yeah. want to engage so it makes it so much more difficult and you know that's what i love about it is the accessibility that yeah comes. yeah um but yeah there is, the, oh, we're finding this with some of our internal events that we're doing because you know the, we we worked in a big office in southampton that holds I don't know, 1,500 people, for example. And then everybody in March 2020 suddenly started working from home and no one was going into the office. Before that, everyone went into the office all the time. There was events in the office because we've got this grand atrium and things. And then suddenly, you know, obviously everything went online. Now, very recently, and this was very recently, um, Pino Cruz has decided they wanted to get all of their staff together and they wanted it in person. And it wasn't my event, actually. I, don't, I do help with internal events, but on this occasion, it wasn't my event. And I, I was trying to say to them, why? why? Why is it so important that they're in the room with you? They couldn't quite give me an answer on that completely other than we just want everyone there together and yes it, it was a case that they wanted to celebrate people in the flesh together to be to create that connection because lots of different people have moved positions lots of new people have come into the business but at the, at the same point why would you why would you stop people that can't get there for whatever reason not taking part and having that stream version mm. so that they can take part it's a happy balance it's a balance though isn't it because if you put to, if you're sitting at home, I live in Cornwall, my office is in Southampton. If I'm told there's an event on in Southampton, but I'm offered to give a live stream version of it, I'm probably going to go, do you know what? I'm going to save a three and a half hour journey. I'll just watch a live stream version. But 
I'm just like I might not do because I like that in person <laughs> but, but there is that option isn't there so it's that yeah. balance like you go okay if I do the live stream one lots more people will go do you know what I'm just gonna stay at home rather than come along so it's it's hard to get that balance right <laughs> yeah and it's you know I do think you can't replace that you can't replace the physical experience of being in a room with people and engaging them and you know I love I'm you know it's funny because you say about you living in Cornwall it wasn't you know I'm obviously spend a lot of my time in Cornwall yeah. and it wasn't until um we didn't even realize that we no. <laughs> but um yeah I spend so much of my time working from home and it's easy to think how you know how convenient that is but you just cannot, like, you can't replace that, those physical connections. Um, but it's like yeah. you say, it's it's creating the offer, but also maybe trying to entice the people. Yeah, but like you say, why do we want them to do that? Then we should kind of encourage them to engage the way they want to. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, humans are a wonderful thing, aren't we? we our behaviours, um, we don't like change. So when, when all of a sudden in... March 2020 when the first lockdown came along and we were all told to work from home everyone was a bit like crikey how the heck are we going to make yeah. this work like we've suddenly now got we're here we've got cats with dogs and we may have children or whatever and you're trying to juggle it all and you're at home makeshift offices two years down the line trying to get people to leave their home to go back in an office I know like, all of our behaviors have changed completely so mm. it, and we're now having to evolve again we're now all of us are having to evolve into something that's new and different again which is that sort of hybrid way of working offices or not offices live events virtual events hybrid events and it's, it's that human thing we just don't like change do we but was, was it the right thing to do for us all to not have those connections and sit at home for two years? Probably not. Like the, to the toll it's taken us on us all and our personal lives and work lives is probably bigger than we think. So mm. I think we do have to evolve again into something new for our own yeah. well-being. I think it is going to take time for people to um, get comfortable, like get fully comfortable. You get some people who, you know, hated the whole two years of being at home and, like, yeah. you know, straight back into the clubs. Um, <laughs> then you get the people who, you know, are the opposite. But I think it is, like you say, I think um, we'll have to evolve and it will take time. And that's the same as people's mindsets for events, isn't it? And um, or any experiential or anything like, you know, do, do I go and attend? Do I not go and attend? What you know, people are going to be very more selective around what they attend going forward. Now, I think that's the bit that's interesting. It's the yeah. it's the selectiveness that's going to yeah. come, like right. with restaurants. You know, the the slightly subpar ones you just didn't bother with anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about trade. So um, you said that's part of your role as well. Yeah. You approach those totally differently or is it all kind of the same process in terms of planning and creative? Yeah, I think it's I think it, the, the planning elements exactly the same project planning for me and I always tell my team this it's the same the project planning planning cycle is, is is pretty much the same the way you tackle it is going to be different so it's all down to your demographic isn't it so if you think about um and we used to do this at Tui and Thomas Cook as well because I was invo involved in the trade and travel events there if you think about a travel agent for example you've got a lot a couple of different pools of people here you've got a lot of young people straight out of college that have come along and they're in their in their first sort of jobs and they're quite young and they're excited and they're building their career and then also in travel you do get that sort of end of end of career kind of 
people have been mums, people have gone off and done other things, or they're doing it as a part-time job because they like to sell holidays or sell cruises or whatever. And it's, it's lovely and it's great. So you've got quite, you have to understand your demographic and what they want. And that's the same for every event. So you don't, I don't tackle them differently, but I wouldn't put the same event on for my network, my BBC buyer of a global network as I would for a travel agent, because they are very different people that want very different things. Um, so you've got to look at, first and foremost, you've got to look at your demographic. What sort of lead times do you generally look at when you're doing, I mean, obviously, um, when you're talking about your huge cruise launches, yeah, presumably you're, you know, your year, if not years in advance? Yeah, so I think, COVID's not helped this. So yes, um, like now we're planning and we're planning for say Arvia arrives in the UK and her maiden voyage is 9th of December. So we've been planning since a year out for this. The problem with it is it could change. Yeah, COVID could change things. Things could get restricted again. Health and safety, everything could change. So um, as much as yes it sounds like we've got lots and lots of time and we have got a really nice idea of what we'd like to do and we're just working through the the legalities and the nitty-gritty of it right now but we have unfortunately with events and the, the way we are right now you've got to contingency plan yeah. so what what happened with Iona actually we we all done tools so Iona Fest was obviously put on a on the back burner because cruising stopped and everything stopped obviously um and we all done tools and then I was told I was going to have a six month leading time for whatever we was going to do with Iona and I was actually on annual leave and it was about this time last year it was March last year all of a sudden I got a call when I was on annual leave going we're going to be doing a really big broadcast event in 12 weeks time. And at that point, I hadn't even got a team set up. So because I'd been told that I'd got six months and I'd only got a certain amount of time for fixed term contractors to join me and help deliver this. Um, so I and it changed just like that. So I was given 12 weeks to put quite a large scale broadcast on with like 300 technical crew on the key side, build a big user production company, build a big, um, very big production, work with a ship that you weren't allowed on because of COVID um, and recruit a team at the same time to help me deliver all of this. So, oh my God, I just do not know how you do that. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you just have to get a day at a time and a bit at a time. So it's what's really interesting, and I think all events planners or anyone marketers, anyone that's planning something right now is planning in, in advance, but we're contingency planning to the hilt at the moment too, because mm. what if, what if, what if is happening? God almighty, I just don't know. Well, I'm interested in then what you were saying then. So didn't you outsource quite a lot of your teams for these specific events or, you know, you're bringing in contractors yeah so um i in terms of the event production so if we look at it for the naming ceremony and the big stuff um we actually work with an event this is really interesting as well during covid we um work with an american production partner because they are the all singing all dancing production company for um naming ceremonies across the globe if, if you do naming ceremony, they mainly do them for Royal Caribbean, for Earth, for Carnival, for everybody, they do them and they're called Wilson Dow. So they're an events production partner, which was interesting trying to work with them and get them in the country for um, our event, actually. They do the really big stuff, though. But then I have got, so for the Christmas event that we did, I worked with a different production partner because we live broadcast it from a studio in London. So, and it's probably the same as most events planners or most head of events. You kind of got a scale. You've got scales of different partners that you work with depending on the, 
the scale of event that you're working with. So um, on the production, we always outsource it, definitely. Um, obviously, it depends. If it's on a ship, we've got quite a lot of AV and technical crews and things like that on board and performers. So that's great. We've got all of that. In terms of all the nitty gritty around um, delegate management, um, comms planning, um, operational health and safety, I have a team. I, res I resource a team up and I flex it up and down depending on the event that we're doing. So um, I will. that's all internal teams for me to look after that. What do you think is the um, events are one of those things? So we always used to say you're either a love events as a marketer or yeah. you hate events as a marketer. <laughs> and I think probably the main issue with events is the fact that you're dealing with something as soon as you're involving people mm -hmm. there's a huge degree of the uncontrollable yeah for yeah. me that's like the bit of events where i'm like oh god because as much as you can plan everything down to the nth degree yeah. as soon as you're bringing in either the general public or a random business audience you're you're basically just having to there's an, a huge element of wing it you know <laughs> you don't know what people are going to do necessarily do you do you think that's true or do you think I need to just get over my fear of people being random? I mean, I'll be honest, and I've always said this, um, events would be amazing without people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so true. Yeah, honestly, so um, I need to be very careful what I say right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we say for example and this is no one's fault but we as part of my remit at the moment we are helping support all of the different cruise ships come back into service so P&O cruises have got a certain amount of cruise ships and one by one that we're bringing bringing them back into service so um, our last cruise ship actually Arcadia is coming back into service this weekend and last night was their test cruise so we got loads of guests staff and a partner or a friend or family to go on board and just test it, low-key test it so that all the ship, all the crew can just remind themselves what they've not done for two years, basically, and just get ready for the guests to come on. My team were in charge of that test cruise. Now, the delegate management side of this, like people registering for it, changing who they want to bring. COVID obviously happened as well, so lots of people couldn't come because of COVID asking for certain requests, rechanging their mind, wanting this, wanting that. That's the worst bit of events, yeah. without a doubt. It is mind-numbingly boring, labour-intensive, and yes, you need a spreadsheet for it. <laughs> yeah, that kind of like minor stuff, but which influences whether or not an individual is going to have a, you know, like food and dietaries, yeah. alcohol, yeah. you know, all of those kinds of things. Like if you forgot to tell everyone that you're vegan, and yeah. then as an event person, if you don't supply that, you're massively influencing their ability to enjoy it. Yeah. And for us, like, and it's really, if, you, if you're looking at a delegate management person that's just purely their job to do that, I mean, these people are the most amazing people in the world because they absolutely have got the patience of a saint to deal with all these changes. For us, it's just annoying that somebody wants to change their mind or change something at last minute. But if you think about exactly that, I'm a vegetarian. If I came to an event and um, they hadn't got my needs and requirements met and that I hadn't got a veggie meal or I hadn't got there, say, for example, you don't drink alcohol and all that they supplied with alcohol and there's no soft drinks that's going to affect your whole evening I know. 
forget everything else forget the great content that you're trying to put on if we don't get the basics right for our attendees then forget it all <laughs> i was talking to somebody the other day and she got invited her and her husband got invited it's funny but it's not funny but they got invited to a um a dinner like a launch dinner for a restaurant they are both vegan yeah. um pre-invitation you know said that they could uh, were vegan um, nothing supplied oh. uh, so they had to sit through a whole dinner and she just said they just got royally drunk because all yeah. you know all they could do was eat like maybe a bit of bread um, yeah. but it's just stuff like that I just think there's no excuse for it no there's re there's really not there's no excuse and yes it is we've made light of it there in terms of saying oh god it's so dull and boring but it's it's the most important thing it's that intricate detail and all your friend will talk about now is that she will only yeah. tell like oh i went to this wonderful event but they didn't even get my meal right like and yeah. we just got drunk so she's not going to tell you about like the content or the experience no. that she had she's just going to tell you that and that that's yeah unfortunately it's the basics that we've got to get right yeah 100 percent I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm slightly going to. I'm, I'm really after some like top tips from you. So, um, you know, mainly talking about people who, you know, for example, marketing managers yeah. in smaller businesses, they're doing events alongside everything else. You yeah. know, they're not doing the massive, like huge ones. What are the kind of, you know, for example, organization, critical, teachable? Can you teach? Because I'm terrible. And it's so disorganized. Um, I suppose it is a skill. It is a skill, absolutely. Is it teachable? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, you can do something that's completely out of your natural comfort zone, can't you? You can teach yourself to do yeah. something that it's not like dancing where you've either got two left feet or not. You know, yes, perhaps I'll always be a little bit more organized than you, for example. But you, you know, if somebody teaches you, like, do a critical path, work out exactly what you need to do each week, and just write, like have a really simple week by week must do this by this state i've got to do that next week is this and then each week review it and go have i done that no okay well that's a risk so let's move that into next week keep everyone up to date as long as you keep it in a really simple format then mm. yes i think everybody can be organized and yeah i I know it's a skill and I know like if you look at any events planner, for example, or events manager, they will say they're a control freak, they're highly organized, they're meticulous, the detail is important. So yeah, I think, I think it is teachable. Yeah. So um, from what you just said then also, I'd say top tip is critical path. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Critical path is so key. Like I was just literally doing one just before um, we jumped on this actually, and it was around, so if you know you've got to deliver something by a certain day, work back, work back from that. So what have you got to do? What are the real, we call them key milestones. So what are the real key milestones that you have to deliver? So if it's an event, for example, it might be, oh, I've got to invite my guests, haven't I? So, you know, when are your invitations going out? Well, before you can do your invitation, you've got to do the creative for the invitation and the theme in and the copy and the proofreading and all of that and, and make sure it lands as the messages you want so you can start working out them all then can't you and then you know if you've got a venue because it's a physical event then oh i've got to tell my venue all of this by that point great okay have that that, that deadline yeah. just map it out it's like it's it's not brain science but it's not always people the first people's thought to actually map it out what else like how do we get the creative bit right 
Yeah, and again, okay, so the, the creative is the always the contentious bit, isn't it? Because especially for a marketer, if it's you and you're working with your MD and you're in a small company, it becomes so subjective to someone's opinion. It always does. In a bigger company, sometimes it's easier because we have bigger brand guidelines and policies to stick to. So brand police have come out and go, no, look at that, that's not right or whatever. When it's a smaller company and it's say you, the MD, perhaps a sales director or whatever, um, it's three people's opinions, isn't it? And it makes it really yeah. tricky. <laughs> so, I think, so, I mean, that's where you really have to, as a marketer in those shoes, you're basically reminding the people around you, this isn't about what we want. Yeah. this is about what the client or the customer or the audience so so you know i i, <laughs> I don't care if you like the design unless yeah. you're in the target audience group is is exactly. a good way of trying yeah. to elbow them out of the way yeah it is it always brings it back to that demographic you guessed who are they or, or whoever you're trying to um market to it's all about them isn't it you, stakeholder influence is so important isn't it so as a marketer you've got to be ready to go in there and, and fight your not fight your battle but have all of your information ready to go this is why you've made a decision on something have your rationale why and always bring it back to your audience so yeah. why i did this is because of that it's not because the md likes blue or likes um clowns or likes whatever it's about what your audience wants so go in there armed with those tools to, to rationale behind why you've made those decisions how though um how important do you think it is to try and like take risks around some of like that experience stuff you know if you're trying to show if you're trying to do something a bit different especially like we were saying um people are way more uh, careful now around what they say yes to yeah you know have you got kind of like an armory of okay you know let's bring in the acrobats <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I I did this with Catherine. Won't mind me talking about this. So Thomas Kirk, um, we were when we did a big annual conference overseas for all of the um, travel managers, um, the travel agent managers, and it was a hundred years celebrating Thomas Kirk. So it was a big moment in their history, and we have a conference every year or they had a conference every year and all the managers come together and you kind of know what this conference is going to look like you know that your um sales director um is going to do a big update you know that your md is going to come across and do a big update and there's some going to be some sort of interactive and then the sponsors but you, there's a format but sometimes you have to shake it up a little bit and do some so you've got to shock people and do something a little bit different so i decided that i'd like to do a um theater performance to open up the whole of the conference day um and basically we had a real we had a guy within the business that been he hadn't been there for a hundred years but he was a historian and knew the whole history around thomas cook and it, it's a great history um of thomas cook and basically we built the history within a theater performance now my all of my senior stakeholders were all a little bit nervous about this i kind and i knew i was taking a risk because it was something that was really different to open up this conference and and we had the script written for us the historian helped us write the script um we had a we had to source some performers to come in they weren't a, a theater company but we got some performers in and then we had to direct them and we got that piece done it could have been an absolute shambles and it was a real risk but 
everyone talks about that everyone we met out of the whole conference and people mm. were literally crying towards the end of it because it literally was like thomas cook has been here a hundred years and like people were getting really emotional and we brought that emotional side out and it was something that was never done before so i do think what i'm trying to say is if you've got a format that works make sure that there's elements of that format still there don't completely rip up the paper and start again yeah. because your audience won't feel comfortable anyway because especially because these have been coming for many years you've got to give them something that feels comfortable and is secure but try just putting in one or two different things taking a couple of risks and they need to be educated they need mm. to, they need to be really kept thought through carefully but you don't want to do the same thing every year you don't want to do the yeah. same thing you've got you've got to test things but just do it a little bit at a time yeah 100% that's really good advice kelly <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> any other top tips before i let you go any more top tips around for marketers that are running events in particular? Yeah, I guess so. Because um, so um, most of the people listening to the Marketing Forum podcast will be marketers, communicators or creatives. And most people are in small and medium sized businesses. Yeah. So um, most people won't have the luxury of being uh, being able to outsource the whole thing. Yeah. So a couple of things then. So, and it comes back to knowing your objectives, knowing the why, why are you doing it? What do you want to achieve out of it? Always come back to that. That's really key. And marketers know that anyway, because they run campaigns and they know like what they're trying to get out of it. So it's the same for an event, really. Thread that through throughout. Another thing is use your network. So you might not be an expert in all these different areas. So if you're, you're trying to run an event and you're a marketeer and you think, oh, crikey, I'm not the most organized person. I bet you any money within your LinkedIn network or within your network of people peers and colleagues that you've built up across the years, you've probably got people you can reach out to and go, I'm a bit stuck on this, like I'm running an event, I'm not quite sure how to work with a venue for this and like what would they want from me? You Use people, use the network, events profs across the UK in particular are warm, welcoming and they will open their arms to help you and I've learned that in the last two years in the pandemic. So just reach out to people and if you're a marketeer and you think i need to learn more about events go to the events it's a complex was yeah. on a couple of weeks ago go along and meet people go and there's lots of online events that you can do to, to learn so just educate yourself a little bit more and feel more comfortable in these areas yeah that's definitely true like you're not going to know what works and what feels good and what feels bad unless you actually go yeah to other people's yeah exactly that yeah um, final question, and then I promise I'll let you go free. Um, in terms of so your uh, experience, like you've obviously um, worked um, across different companies, different, um, I suppose I was gonna say industries, but I suppose you have in a, in a way. Yeah. What in terms of your, um, from a personal perspective, in terms of like your own confidence around, um, you know, as you built your career and your experience and stuff, is that something that you feel like you always had is it something you've worked on i'm really interested in that kind of like softer you know like not the skill set side i suppose but more just the yeah you know yeah i am um, i think i am quite driven i am quite driven and i i think i knew where i wanted to get to quite early on um i knew i wanted to be a dancer that that was always first and foremost so i, I did that and took that off but then there's only a longevity of around being a dancer um and then you know you cut when I when I started taking on things like the recruitment road shows and the awards evenings and the conferences for all of these performers that i was looking after i knew that i became i was the natural so 
I had to, you've got to sell yourself. No one's going to sell you for you. You are your best cheerleader. And I was, because I then took a leap. I left a business, Bond Leisure, that I'd been working with for 10 years and, you know, and they'd given me a really lovely time. And I decided that I was an events professional. I just, on my title, I was a regional events entertainment support manager at that point. I wasn't an events professional, but I decided that I knew where my path was and where I wanted to go. And I knew I wanted to get to head of events. That's exactly where I wanted to go. So you've got to carve your, your own path. And so I, I went to the agencies and said, look, these are my transferable skills. And I got an events producer role. And then I knew I wanted to get back into travel. And like I say, and then I knew I, I wanted to work in London because I've never done it. And I wanted to work for a media company. So you've just got to believe in yourself. Half of it is belief. And females have got less belief and confidence in themselves as, as males. Males will look at a job description and go, oh, I can do about 40% of that. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm going to go for it. Females, I can't remember what the percentage is, but I think it's something like 70 to 80 percent. If we can't do that, we will not go for these um, these jobs. But somebody's got to do these jobs. And if you feel that you can do it and you can go and push yourself a little bit, just go for it. You've got to drive yourself. You you are you are in charge of your own success. So mm-hmm. no one else. Yes, you can find mentors. You can find people to support you and to guide you. But again, you've got to do that. You've got to find the mentors. You've got to go out and do the research and do and. Um, and educate yourself better and make connections wherever you want to get is you are you are your own cheerleader that's going to get there you know that sense of belief you know I absolutely agree with you you know you have to um you have to believe in your own ability because you know there there isn't any guarantees from anyone else and they're certainly not going to waste time giving you any yeah did you always have that or is that something you've worked on yeah, no, I always, I, I've always had it, and but quietly. I am an introvert. I am not an extrovert. I don't like big crowds of people, like, and I will not shout about myself. I'll get on with my work and I'll do it. And I've had to learn to shout about myself a little bit more. Hence the podcast. Hence yeah. go presenting at Convex and things like that. Because, yeah, I, I, I've always believed in myself. I've always had this self belief in myself. I don't know why. I, it's just something that's always been there. Um, I am quite confident in myself, but in a quiet way. Like I'm not, yeah. I don't need to shout about myself too much and be that big confidence person. But I think what happens is if you if you put if you set yourself a goal and you hit that goal, no matter how small or big it is, your confidence then builds and you go, exactly. Oh, I've done that. Right, I'm gonna try this. Oh crikey, I've done that too. Wonderful. So just set yourself little goals. And then as mm. you hit these goals, you'll go, oh, okay, I'm bet I am actually a little bit better than I thought. Oh, okay, let's try this. Wonderful. Yeah. I've done that. So, but also do that personally as well. So, you know, I got big into fitness. I wanted to run a marathon and I started off, I wasn't a runner, I couldn't even run to a lamppost. And so I, I gradually built that. And then I did lots of marathons too. And and it is just about don't think oh tomorrow I'm going to run it go out and run a marathon it's those baby steps that you put in place to get yourself there yeah I totally agree with you because it's like that kind of sense of um not on the marathons um but on the (laughs) (laughs) um but on the you know you if you don't push yourself slightly out of your comfort zone you don't get the proof no and it's hard to build confidence if you're always in comfort yeah um whereas you know I I've seen so many people who you know, for example, have been in jobs for a decade, yeah. leave, and then they flourish because they're suddenly just sort of thinking like, oh, I thought I knew everything I needed to know, didn't really think I could, you know, move that into another role. And just the confidence you kind of get from being outside of your comfort zone is just like, like no other, really. 
Yeah, it is. And it's coming back to those taking those risks, isn't it? Like if you're working on a project, take a risk. And personally, you're going to have to take a risk as well. If you want to stretch yourself, you are going to have to take a risk and get yourself into a really uncomfortable position. But the more you do that, just little bits, not not fully out, you know, you don't have to go and emigrate to Australia tomorrow. Like just take little risks and then you'll feel more confident. Go, OK, I can do that. Let's take yeah. So it's those little risks that you take. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much, Kelly, for chatting so much and sharing all of your knowledge. And it's oh, like really so great as well just to hear different people's experiences of, you know, I think, um, for example, you know, that confidence piece, it, it matters so much. And yeah. it's not something we talk about enough, in my view. No, not at all. And yeah, oh, I always remember to myself, like, because I've been an events director now, you know, some people could have thought like, well, I can't get to events director. Well, someone's going to do it. Someone's yeah. going to be an events director. Someone's going to head up. The, the... Ain't going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just put yourself out there. Yeah. Like, but, but only if you think you can do it. Underneath, you know, like if you don't put yourself into something that you're absolutely going to fail, it's okay to fail a little bit because that's mm. how you grow. But don't just like go where you're going to absolutely swamp yourself. But yeah, yeah take, take those risks. It's not suppressing what you want either, is it? It's like, no. you know, okay, I'm going to hold my hand up and say, I really want to become an events director. It's like, yeah. you know, don't be afraid to want that. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, shout about it if, you, if you're that kind of person yeah. if you want to. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well thank you so much Kelly it's been so wonderful having you and um, I wish you all the best with your next marathon (laughs) we'll be doing one of them soon (laughs) thanks a lot I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Marketing Forum podcast if you are not already please do like and subscribe and you can follow us on social media or subscribe to our mailing list to find out more about episodes coming your way soon